Well, it's, it's Father's Day, and maybe you're visiting with us. I, I don't know, but I'm glad that you're here with us if you're brand new, and maybe you're in town with family. We're thankful for that. I, I'm reminded of an elderly woman who walked into a, a country church, and a usher greeted her at the door and asked her, where would you like to sit? And uh, she answered and said, the front row, please. And the usher said, well, you really don't want to do that. The pastor is really boring. And, uh, and she said, do you happen to know who I am? Uh, no, said the usher. I'm the pastor's mother, she replied. To which the usher said, do you know who I am? And she said, no, and the usher said, good. <laughs> good. Well, you know, I don't know what your experience is, but I, I'm really glad that you're here on uh, Father's Day. I, I saw a tweet, a Twitter that came in from a, a man I know. It's a good friend of my son, Johnny, good friend, and... Uh, here, here's what the, the tweet said, and I thought it was interesting. He said, there's still plenty of time. It's a brother pastor, and here it is. There's still plenty of time to pivot from the Hulk smash sermon that you plan to hammer the men with uh, on this Lord day, Lord's Day. He said, rather, what you should do than that is preach Christ. And certainly I, I understand that. A Hulk smash sermon, he said and made the argument, and I'm sure truly spoken, that we need to preach Christ. And I certainly don't want you to feel as though this is a Hulk smash sermon, but I, I do want you to be edified and encouraged and reminded. And my heart is for you men on this Father's Day. I'm going to step out of the book of Ephesians and just take a week to address some very practical, important truth. We're, we'll certainly get to that in Ephesians in a little bit, but I just invite you to take your Bible this morning and open it to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is a passage that I've referred to certainly at parent dedications and have touched on it in small devotions, but I thought that I would remind you, fathers, on this day, your specific responsibility. Now, remember, as you open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy is written by Moses, and really what the book of Deuteronomy consists of is a series of farewell sermons preached by Israel, Moses's. That's Moses. He's the 120-year-old leader. And so he writes this as a second law, which is what the book of Deuteronomy is. Most of the previous generation has died off. And Moses seeks to encourage a new generation to obey the law of God. Some people have called Deuteronomy chapter 6 the Magna Carta of the home. And, uh, and really what it is, is it's, it's given men to guarantee the happiness 
of the family in the purpose of God. Let me read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 for you, and then we'll touch on it this morning as time permits. It says there in 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. Let me just bow us in a word of prayer. Father, it would be our desire, certainly this is instruction to parents. I'll, Father, apply it specifically to the fathers in here. And we would just ask that, Father, you open our eyes and ears and our heart to see this truth. I pray that you would allow even the fathers this day to be encouraged and transformed by it. And we'll commit this time to you in your name. Amen. There in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it is known as the Shema. And I'm sure maybe you've heard of that uh, in your past at somewhere. It is a famous text. Of course, this is the same text in Mark 12 and in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus called the great commandment or the foremost commandment of all. It's called the Shema, if you don't know, because of the first word in verse 4. Look there. It's the word here in Hebrew. That is the word here, Shema. And it just means to hear. And really, when you walk into 6-4, this passage, and really much of Deuteronomy, is designed for the happiness of a home, for the blessing of a home. In other words, he's given it to you fathers, to you parents, in that sense, that your home would be blessed, that your home would be happy. You say, well, why do I say that? Well, look at 6.2. There, it says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and then understand. Line this in 6.2, and your days may be long. So far from this being a Hulk smash, this is for you, that your days may be long. In fact, look at chapter 6, verse 3, where it says there, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, here it is, that it may go well, there it is, with you that your days may be long, that it may go well with you. In fact, back up in your text there, chapter 5 and verse 33, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and then underline this, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So under the old covenant, this command here was given and designed for the family to bless the family for your happiness. So far from this 
being such a fearful word. It is a joyful word, and certainly in our confusion, and certainly in the culture, in the destruction of the family, I was thinking about it just even this this last week here, maybe in this, the all-out assault on the family, but frankly, the all-out assault on the family has been going on for over 40 years. The deconstruction of the family, the manipulation of the family, the gender roles that I've heard are entering to about 170 different types of gender, and on it goes, and this is the path that we find ourselves on. But nevertheless, this is given for your joy. This is given for your happiness. But what piqued my interest, I think especially, is that this exhortation in Deuteronomy 6 is crucial for passing on the faith and passing on the truth to the next generation. In other words, you're passing on the faith that has been established in your life, but you're passing it on as a father to the next generation, the truth of the word of God. In fact, look back at chapter four. Let me just set this up for a moment. In chapter four, in verse nine, only take care, he gives this farewell sermon in four nine, and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your own eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And now this, make them known to your children and your children's children. Verse 10, how on that day you stood before the Lord God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may, here it is, teach their children so. The the passing on truth to the next generation was preeminent, certainly in our mind and heart here at this church, but it was preeminent on the heart of God himself through the teaching of Moses. In fact, look at chapter five in your Bible, In verse 29, here's the cry of Moses. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always in 529, to fear me, to keep all my commandments. Here's the blessing, that it may go well with them, and then this phrase, and with their descendants forever. These are promises, if you will, to future generations and I think what father here what grandfather here this wouldn't be preeminent it's never just about this generation praise God for it it's about future generations we're about ready this year to have our ninth grandchild and I would tell you that foremost in my heart is the passing on of truth to those who are my children and to those who are my grandchildren. But look back at chapter four, even in verse 25, this future generation is addressed. It says, when you father children, 425, and children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act 
corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger. And then he says, I'll call heaven and earth, heaven and earth excuse me, to witness against you today. But there you see it in 25 when you father children and children's children and you've grown old and here's this commandment. In fact, if you will, look down at verse 40 of chapter 4. Therefore, you shall keep the statutes and his commandments, 440, which I command you today that it may go well with you. And then this, and with your children after you that you may prolong your days in the land. Listen, this is for your blessing. I was uh, interested this week to read an article that was posted by a pastor in the year 1900. The pastor's name was Albert Winship, and he wrote a book, and here was the title of the book. It was called Jukes, J-U-K-E-S, Edwards, A Study of Education and Heredity. And in this book, he, he traced the posterity of two different men. The first was named Max Jukes. He was born in 1720, and Jukes was, a, was an atheist. His wife was ungodly, and it said of Max Jukes that he had 540 descendants. Of those descendants, 310 died in Poverty, not because poverty is wrong, but because the lifestyle led to poverty. 150 of his descendants were convicted criminals. Seven were murderers. There was a hundred drunkards, drunkards that came from his family, and many that were caught in enslaved to sexual sin. The other man was a man maybe you've heard of. His name, the famous theologian, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards' descendants in this book numbered 1,394. And the descendants that came from Edwards were an American vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, and 80 public officials. It's amazing. You know, listen, how a father lives... And how a father raises his children affect generations. I mean, the greatest threat to this flock, the greatest threat to this new generation that was about to enter the promised land is in chapter 6. Here's the greatest threat. Look over in chapter 6. And here he's still in that text. And when the Lord your God, 610, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, 
with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, take care lest you, what? Forget the Lord. It's the greatest warning threat to that generation and I'm sure the greatest warning and threat to you who are sitting in this auditorium, is lest we forget what the Lord has done. Now, my desire today is to challenge you fathers, to challenge you grandfathers, by looking at three practices out of Deuteronomy that mark out the life of a godly father. It certainly can't be everything in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But if I could just leave you at least here with three practices that mark out the life of a godly father. Certainly this is to you as well who are not fathers, to you who are young men, I would challenge you to be this man, to be this man as a seventh grader that goes at clay, an eighth grader if you're at Emmanuel, Maybe even at high school at CVC or at Kingsburg. I want to challenge you to be this man. Young women, as I give these three practices out from the word of God, I want you to marry this type of man, okay? Marry this guy, okay? Don't date the dead. Don't date on potential. Don't date on something that he might become Date on this kind of man and the foundations of this kind of life. Dads, I would say to you, raise your children to be this type of man. Raise your boys, at least for our time this morning, to be this man. Very well, what are these practices? Well, they're in the text. A godly father first is marked by exclusive devotion. He's marked by exclusive devotion. You could see it there in 6.4. Look down again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It says there, hear, uh, Shema, and the word just can be likened to obey. In other words, fathers, when you hear him, you are obeying him. You say, well, who are you hearing and who are you obeying? Look at the text again in 6, 4. It says you're obeying the Lord. It says he's the Lord our God. Lord, you're obeying Yahweh, if you will, the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one in scripture. This is Yahweh. It is the personal name for God. In the Hebrew here, they'll put it in different vowels and they'll call it Adonai because they had such a reverence for the name of God, such a reverence for Yahweh that they didn't even want to speak of it. So fearful, so awesome was his name, but that's who his name is. It's Yahweh. It's the personal name for God. And then look at this God whom you are to hear and obey. Again in 6.4, it says the Lord is one. 
The Lord is one, obviously one God, three distinct personalities. All of the surrounding cultures were polytheistic. They worshipped, you know this, numerous gods. The Canaanites themselves had 70 deities. The Egyptians had a pantheon of gods. And here, for Israel and for us, as God has revealed himself, it's monotheism. It's one God. And the phrase here means that the Lord is totally unique, that he alone is God. He is king over the earth. The prophet Isaiah said in 45, 5, I am the Lord, same phrase, I am Yahweh, and there is no other besides me, there is no God. In other words, there's not a pantheon of gods, there's not a polytheistic, if you will, place for many gods, there is one God. And because he is the Lord, and because he is the self-sufficient one, because he is the self-existent one, now the command there, you shall love the Lord your God. Here, men, you are to called to love the Lord your God. You're called out and marked here, at least parents are, and to this generation, to love God. And the love here refers to a love exhibited uh, not by emotions. I think you know that. In the Hebrew, love was exhibited by the will. It was a love exhibited, if you will, in the mind rather than exhibited in the feelings or the emotions. It is, here, love God, the highest kind of love. It motivates you to do what is right no matter what you may be feeling. It is likened in the New Testament to agape love, the love of intelligence, as opposed to phileo love, which is the love of friendship, or eros, which is the love of physical attraction. And here he says to these fathers, I'll say this day, that we are to love God. But you say, how are we to love him? Well, look at the text. You're to love him with all your heart. In other words, with everything you are, with all of your being, it is a consuming love. In other words, within the Hebrew framework, the heart was the, the wheel of existence. We can call it the mainspring of your thoughts the mainspring of your words and your deeds. It's not addressing the emotions, really. The heart is not even referring, and you know this, to a pulsating, beating organ. No, loving God, men, from all your hearts addresses our innermost character, our innermost will. It's love God and love his son with all of your being, with all of your hearts, but look what else he says there in that expressive, exclusive devotion. It says there in verse 5, and with all your soul. The soul sometimes, at least in Matthew 26, uses soul to refer to emotions. In other words, at that point, Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. So you're loving him with all your being, you're loving him with all your emotional love. And then the last phrase there is you're loving him with all your might. You're fixing your entire life supremely on him. To love him more than anything else. So men, let me just 
encourage your heart and mind. This is a father's exclusive devotion, okay? This is very, very important. It's, it's an exclusive devotion. Remember, Jesus spoke of this, the Shema, especially in 6.5, as the great commandment. Do you remember that? In fact, he called it the great commandment. And it's really almost unbelievable that Jesus himself, in all of the New Testament, said that there's one commandment that is foremost of all. And it was this that he quotes in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark chapter 12. And the reason that he stated it as such is that the Sadducees, they asked him a question. They asked Jesus, what, is, what commandment is the foremost of them all? Interesting question. And if you understand a little bit of the context, you'll understand why the Sadducees would ask that question. In other words, Jesus, we're confused. And we're confused because there's many commandments. What's the foremost or the most important of all? In other words, they're asking him, what is to be ranked the highest? Now, what's behind that statement is that these Jewish leaders were involved in what we can call hair-splitting legalism. It came out of the Jewish law, certainly not out of the scripture, but their tradition that they recorded that there were 613 different and separate laws that had to be obeyed. You say, well, how did they get that? Well, they got that from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments has in its address 613 letters that are used in the Ten Commandments. As a result, the system is called rabbinical letterism. There was one law for every letter of the Ten Commandments, 613 laws. The Jewish tradition then further divided that law into two parts. They, they put one section in 248 affirmative laws. How did they get that? For one for every part of the human body. Then they had, in addition to that, 365 negative laws, obviously one for every day of the year. Then they further subdivided 613 laws into what they called light laws and in what they called heavy laws. The light laws were not as binding as the heavy laws. And so the Jews knew that they couldn't keep 613 laws. No wonder our Lord said of these legalistic leaders that in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders. You get it? They just, just add and add and add. And this is what false teachers do. They add and add and add to the point where it becomes a burden. And so when they come to him, they're wanting to know what is the greatest law? Jesus, there's 613. What say you? What is foremost? What is ranked the highest? And then Jesus will quote in Mark 12, Deuteronomy 6, 5, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now let me just uh, fill that out just a little bit. Okay, 
Because in the book of Deuteronomy, it declares that loving God is linked with fearing God and loving God and fearing God is linked to obeying God. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let me just show you this just briefly here, some of the scriptures. Look in Deuteronomy 10, 12, and I want you to see the parallel statements that are made. In Deuteronomy uh, 10, 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to, here it is, fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, here it is, to love him, to serve the Lord your God. Here's this all-consuming nature. With all your heart and with all your soul. And now this in 13. And to keep his commandments and statutes, if you will, of the Lord. Which I am commanding you today for your good. It's always for their good. But fearing God and loving God and serving God are expressions, if you will, of loving him. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 in verse 1. Deuteronomy 11, 1. You shall therefore, here's the injunction, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. You make the link there that loving God is synonymous to keeping his charge out of the word of God. Glance down at chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, verse 13. 11, 13, if you will indeed, and he uses this word, he's pleading with them, obey my commands that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to love Yahweh your God, that's the term for Elohim, and to serve him, here it is, with all your heart and with all your soul. And so there very clearly the instruction was given. Look down at 11 verse 22. For if you're careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do. There's obedience there. Hear, obey. Loving the Lord your God. Walking in all his ways. And folding fast to him. Or, and then it says he'll drive out all these other nations. There was blessing attached. It says the same thing in the book of Deuteronomy, to love the Lord your God, 30, verse 20, by obeying his voice. So I want to be clear there that loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is an exclusive devotion. But the loving of God is placed next to the fear of God, which is placed next to obeying him. And Father's you are called to love the Lord your God with exclusive devotion. Listen, fathers, your exclusive devotion to God, shown in obedience to his person, shown in obedience to his word, is the greatest gift that you can give to your children. There's a lot of things that you can give your children. And many things are called for in care for them, in love for them, in protection for them. But at least here as we step back, just this. This is the mark of a godly man. This is the mark of a godly father to love the Lord his God 
with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might. You say, well, what's the basis of that? Well, I'm going to say it's inverted, isn't it? You can't love God on your own any more than I can't love God on my own. It's turned upside down, is it not, when First John says that we love, you finish the sentence because he first, what, loved us. And so the reason that we can love God even to fulfill this is because he first loved us. In fact, it says in a book of Ephesians, as we've exposited from it, where it says that in love, he predestined us. And so our love flows out of the foundation of his love for you and his love for you was before the foundation of the world. And because he set his love upon you, you're now therefore called to love God. So this isn't a Hulk smash, is it? (laughs) All that we do as fathers ought to be derived out of the foundation of our identity with Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 1 through 3. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience to which Paul says, among two, we all as well. And he says, you were moving that way, but God being rich in his mercy because of his great, what? Love for us even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin. He made us alive. So fathers, listen. Young men, listen. Junior higher, listen. You're beginning to form habits that mark your life, and there's many habits that are healthy. But make sure that in the many things that you do in order to please God, here's the first foundational one, at least from Deuteronomy, That you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, Paul went on to pray in Ephesians chapter 3 that we'd know something of the love of God. The height, the depth, right? The length of the love of God. And so here, the foundation is he loved us first, so we loved him. But then in prayer in Ephesians 3, we can pray to love him more. I remember there was a man who used to sing all the time at Grace Community Church. He was a, well, he's a professional singer, but he, uh, his name's Jubilant Sykes, if you've ever heard him, but he used to have this song, and I resonated with it. It said, if you don't have a loving heart, ask him to give you one. (laughs) I love that. If you don't have a loving heart, ask him to give you one. Fathers, listen, we can't do this by ourselves. We have to plead with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm asking you, is he your greatest love or is your business your greatest love? What is the greatest exclusive devotion that you give yourself to? And here Moses is saying as the new generation walks in, listen, God is one. He alone is unique. He alone is the sufficient one. That God who called you, you're to respond in devotion to him with all the love that you could muster. There were times as a young man married to Patty that I would see her father. His name was Jerry Roth. Grew up 
junior high education as a farmer in Ohio, a hard working man, but there were times where I would be at the house, whether we were dating or certainly early in our marriage, and he would come out after spending hour praying, reading the scripture. He used to read John MacArthur's commentaries. And sometimes, sometimes, through tears in his eyes, tears streaming down his face, he said, Scott, I'm just praying that I could love God more. I'm just praying, and he's probably 65, 75. I'm just praying, and tears coming down his face. He loved Christ, but he wanted to love him more. See, here's uh, the personal devotion that we're to have to the Lord, but he's not only marked by exclusive devotion. Look here, we're almost done, sorry. Uh, He's marked by purposeful meditation. Go back in Deuteronomy. You say, how so? Well, don't miss this in 6.6 of Deuteronomy. Amazing statement. And these words that I command you today, here's the phrase, underline this, shall be on your, what? Heart. You say, what words? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Look at 6.1. What words? Well, this is the commandment, 6.1, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses said, to teach you. It's his rules, it's his statutes, it's his word. You say, well, what words? Well, certainly the word in 6.4, the character of God. Here's the content, if you will, of this meditation. You shall love the Lord your God. Or back in verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, our God, the Lord Yahweh is one. So those are the words. So you say, what's the point here? Moving from exclusive devotion to purposeful meditation, it is this. The fathers, you have to ensure that the scripture, and I'm talking to my own heart too, is on your heart. In other words, let me say it this way. The internalization of the word of God is a prerequisite to spiritual transfer, right? In other words, those commands, that devotion, this purposeful meditation has to be on your heart. In fact, look over at chapter 11 just for a moment. Chapter 11, he says things like this, and I'm speaking and addressing my own heart and you fathers, where he says in 11:18, you shall therefore lay up, I like this, these words of mine in your heart, And in your soul, and you shall, it says, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall teach them to your children. You know, I've been in Israel a number of times. You'll still see Orthodox Jewish people who have a phylactery. They either have a phylactery strapped to their left arm, okay, or their left arm here, I think. And they have a phylactery sometimes strapped to their, their very forehead. And if it's a little box. And if you were to open that little box or if they took that off, they would be even today reciting twice a day. You say out of that little box would become this little roll of paper. And on that little roll of paper 
was the Shema. And the Shema was recited, Deuteronomy 6, 4, twice by those who were Orthodox Jews. And I think they took it to an extreme and it wasn't meant to be some literal designation, but it really was here to be marked by purposeful meditation. Certainly you men know this book of the law, is this your heart? Shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua 1.8, but you shall meditate on it, how much? Day and night. Listen, there's a lot of things that a father could do. One of them is to have his family in the local church. One of them is to have his family around the means of grace in the word of God. But in this text, at this place, there's purposeful meditation. It's got to be on your heart. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have your way, make your way prosperous and you'll have success. Listen, fathers, if Jesus Christ is not your greatest devotion, if he's not your greatest meditation, then you will never be able to impart what you do not possess. This has got to be yours. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if that's my heart. If you don't have a willing heart, ask him to give you one, okay? And, and maybe that's a prayer of Patty's father. I want to just love him more. I get that. We can never love him completely, can we? We could never love him perfectly until we get to glory. But it ought to be the intent of my heart and of your heart. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you had 30 years of this, that, and another. In fact, I want to encourage you today. You think, I don't know, Scott, if this is for me, I'm a believer. No, I'm telling you it is for you. You can start today to be this man. You can start today to say, Lord, I want to be manifested and marked by this exclusive devotion. I want to be marked by this purposeful meditation. Blessed is the man. You say, what man? Any man. Any man in here. In fact, maybe you didn't have a great father, but I want you to know there's a blessing pronounced on you as you exclusively devote yourself to God, as you purposefully meditate on the scripture, because I know this promise in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor who stands in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers at the lunch bit, lunch bench at the public high school or the Christian high school. He's not running with the carnal. He's running with the righteous. He's not sitting in the seat of scoffers. He's not scoffing, if you will, even about areas of doctrine and little minutia details. No, his delight, his love is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, how often? Day and night. Listen, men, uh, purposeful meditation. You say, well, Scott, what what does that mean? Well, I think it means something of Psalm 119, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Men, what you put in your heart will be a direct result of the type of holiness that's manifested in your life. If you're putting a cell phone 
and junk into your mind, then out junk will come. But there the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I just know this, man, that Colossians 3.16 says to let, we talked about that, the word of Christ, what, richly dwell within you. In other words, you're taking the word of Christ, his word, the word of God, he was the word, and you're living on it. Let it richly dwell within you. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your, what? Mind. In other words, my life, your life is going to be nothing more than what you put in. Garbage in, garbage out. And it might not even be garbage in. It could just be a lot, a whole lot of nothing today. A whole lot of nothing. Listen, purposeful meditation has got to mark your life. Remember he said in 422, take off the old man. Remember in 424 of Ephesians, he said, put on the new man and sandwiched in between 22 and 24 is 423 to be renewed in your mind, to be renewed in purposeful meditation on the scriptures. Of course, you remember when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4 and the devil came after him with an onslaught of vigorous temptations those three temptations were matched, were they not, by three statements. It is, what, written. He knew the word did Jesus so much that when the specific temptation came, he was meditating on the word of God. Listen, you grandfathers, it's got to be in your heart. How will you ever transfer truth to your grandchildren? Okay, if it's not there, you've got to watch this exclusively devote yourself. But he said, these words have got to be on your heart. And then thirdly, finally, we'll be finished here. A father is marked by diligent instruction, diligent instruction. Have you noticed there as you look back in Deuteronomy 6, 7, that it comes finally there? He, he begins with your exclusive devotion, he talks secondly about purposeful meditation. Then you get to this in 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And so he says, when you sit, walk, lie down, rise up. In other words, you would get the idea that all of life is a schoolroom for a father, for a grandfather. Those truths are on your heart, men, and as they're on your heart, they are there when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. I was sitting next to a guy at Hume Lake this last week, and he said, Pastor Scott, thanks for Ephesians 5 on singing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's just been so helpful to me. He doesn't even go to our church. He was a guest that day. He said to wake up, and the first thing I do when I wake up is I start singing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and it, it just helped him. These phrases, sit, walk, rise, lie down, are what we call in the Hebrew language mirisms, okay? And all they mean is it represents the totality of all of life. It would like sometimes we say from A to Z. 
That's a mirrorism, okay? Or we say he's the alpha, he's the omega. Or we say he's the beginning and the end. And the thought here in that phrase is that God's truth was to be topic, the topic for, let me say it this way, ordinary conversation, in ordinary homes, in ordinary life, from breakfast all the way to the bedtime and the dinner table. You rise up and you're ever giving the truth. And I don't think here it's just the diligent instruction. I, I think he's also saying here you're teaching, you're teaching diligently, but you're modeling, if you will. When you sit, when you rise, when you lie down, when you, you get back up, when you talk. He's saying that sometimes the truth, you know this phrase, is more caught than what? Taught. But listen, you have to model this, man, and you know that. J.C. Ryle said, to give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them to the way of hell. It's got to be modeled. So men, let me just say to you, to my own heart, you've got to tend the soil of your heart. Some of you tend soil for a living. Here, tend the soil of your heart. Tend the soil of your home. Tend the soil here as he goes on in your habits. So heart, home, habits, okay? He's marked out, listen, there's much more than this. Exclusive devotion, love God fervently. He's marked out by purposeful meditation, love God continually. Love him fervently, love him continually. He's marked out by diligent instruction that he loves God diligently. He loves God carefully. Listen, ask God to make you this man. Be more focused on those things, just I say this, than sports. Be more focused on these things than work. Be more focused, parents, that your children pass the baton of truth than get straight A's, though A's are good. This stuff is more important, men, than music, than any other aspect. Fathers, be this man. Young men, be this man. Young women, marry this man, okay? Fathers, raise your children in this matter. Now listen. If you've come to a place and you say, well, Scott, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a Christian. Um, is there hope for me? Oh, yes. The grace of Christ is available to you today. The same grace that came back to Peter after he denied him three times. And he said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. He's gracious today. And whatever you want to become, some of you are new fathers, even this year are going to be new fathers. He'll equip you if you pray, if you ask him, if you meditate on the scripture, if you let that be the rule of thumb. Listen, you can start where you are. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Praise God that he can help implement these truths in your life no matter where you may be. Those of you who are at the later side of your life, then you have a tremendous duty to pass these truths on to your children and to your grandchildren and for many of you, your great-grandchildren.
Listen, I don't think there's a, a grandfather in here who I know who's, uh, who's, who I know as a great-grandfather who would say this is the sole reason for his existence. And when he starts talking to me about his kids, his grandchildren, and his greats, tears come up in his eyes. Because the older you get, the more you realize, right, these things are far better than some trophy that the Golden State Warriors just won. I wish the Lakers would have won it. But anyways, um, so listen, men... He'll help you be that. Why don't you bow your head with me today?